This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by Roadmap Writer's Jumpstart Writing Competition. The competition is open to both original TV pilots and feature scripts, with a panel of 12 industry judges from top companies, including Circle of Confusion, Echo Lake Entertainment, Verve, Mosaic, Bronze Studios, and more. To learn more and check out their incredible prize packages, visit RoadmapWriters.com and choose Jumpstart from the Competitions tab. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we are going to answer a bunch of listener questions, your own questions. Since Paper Tease has taken over our paper scrap segments for now, we've received several comments and questions we have not been able to address. So we decided to do a whole episode answering your questions and feedback. And speaking of Paper Tease, let's get started on that. All right, welcome back to our Paper Tea segment. And as a reminder, we started our own free competition where listeners can send in teasers of their original TV pilots for feedback and prizes. And today we are covering two teasers, both of which you can find in the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 91. And let's get started. All right, and the first one is called Figments by Dustin Penny, and it is a drama. So to summarize this, Damien tries to save Molly from an attacker inside her house. Molly hands Damien the attacker's gun, pleading with him to kill the man for her. The attacker seems to be one of her exes who had stalked her at some point. Damien refuses, claiming that Molly is a figment and that what is happening is a game. Damien walks away and breaks down emotionally once he gets back home. We go back to Molly's place, where it's revealed that the situation was not what it seemed, and the attacker gets up off the ground with little effort, completely uninjured. Later that night, Damien is killed in his sleep by a shadowy figure. Uh, what did you think of this one, Alex? Well, I thought Figment has an interesting hook and concept. Narratively, however, I got a bit lost in the abstraction of the mystery. Uh, in other words, I trended more towards confusion than curiosity. So I would say, generally speaking, don't be afraid to give us more clues and hints as to what is going on. Yeah, I think it's always a fine line to walk between how much do you need to give the audience for them to get a good sense of what's going on versus be confused about it. And it's not always an easy thing to read. You don't want to treat the audience like an idiot, but you also don't want to leave them incredibly confused. Yeah, I think some of that also stems from the dialogue. There's a few times where in the teaser you have short abstract back and forth. Uh, for example, I know there's a pregnant beat. Then did you? Yes. The man nods. I mean, all this is fine occasionally, but it can get a bit old if you keep doing that. Right. I think that kind of thing is fine if you've clearly introduced the concept or the audience already knows what the subtext is up top in some way, uh, or it has a clear hint of that. But just kind of doing that in a vacuum without any context uh, just leads to more confusion, I think. Yeah, because especially since this is a teaser, we're not emotionally invested in the narrative yet. And I would also say since the outcome of this teaser is Damien being killed anyway, seemingly out of something happening in this teaser, it could be worth connecting what those dots are more clearly. And again, don't withhold information just to withhold it would be my advice. I thought it was a good way to play with audience expectations that this scene really wasn't as it seemed and there were kind of multiple levels going on here. So I think that on the base level, that is a good thing to utilize in your writing. That was good for me. One thing I did notice in the writing on the page is that there was a lot of description and action written about what characters were thinking or feeling. For example, uh, Damien remembers the story she told him about uh, this attacker. And so that's something that you really want to try to avoid because there's no way for the audience to actually see that on the screen. 
No, I definitely agree. I also had the same comment of there's a lot of that stating of emotions in that prose. She's devastated, betrayed, begins to unleash the pain of losing the woman he thought he loved. It's not an issue by itself, but it's something that is almost there to underline something that I'm already supposed to be feeling in the first place, regardless of those emotions. So if the emotion is warranted, I would underline it. But otherwise, if it's inherent to that scene, why are you highlighting it? Also, too, that some of the prose is a bit hard to actualize. So if you do go there, then actually go the step further and connect those dots to the other man lying on the floor. Or alternatively, since Molly spells it out for us on page two and three, and to Damien, you may not need to spell it out in the prose in such a descriptive way. Another note, uh, more of a narrative note, is I would advise to start that scene much later. And you could easily see this teaser trimmed by three or four pages because the real meat of the story is Damien being put in a position where he has to kill this other man at the behest of Molly. And that's why the dramatic question is, that is what really the teaser is about. So really, if you focus on those moments, it will be much more compelling in even two or three pages as opposed to eight pages. Yeah, I could have easily seen this scene starting with Damien with a gun in his hand pointed at this guy on the ground and jumping right into that dialogue as it is now. I think they start outside of the building, they come into the building, there's some recollection of what's going on and who this person is, and there's a discussion, and then she gives him the gun and that kind of thing. So yeah, always think about what's the latest possible moment I could come into this and what's the earliest possible moment I could leave and try to find that most effective sweet zone in that area. Now, on the micro level, I did think that there was, uh, in the writing, good use of, you know, short sentences in white space. It didn't feel too clumped up together. It was a relatively easy read to skim through that stuff. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. My one micro comment would be uh, something we said multiple times before, and that is to be consistent with the capitalization. So, for example, Damien, the character of Damien, the character of Man, are already established in the scene or in the script. So, they doesn't need to be these characters capitalized again on page one of the script. And the in the second scene, Damien is capitalized again when he enters the duplex. There are differing rules on that. I think the most commonly accepted one is just the first time we meet a character in the script, capitalize them. After that, you don't need to. I have seen versions of different kinds of shows where they capitalize character names every time or they capitalize them at the start of every scene. But I do think that the, by far the most common is just the once and then you're done. Yeah, I would tag on to that, that if you are going to capitalize a character later on, it's usually based on narrative. So in other words, if the reader is supposed to be surprised by the presence of his character, then capitalization makes sense. Otherwise, if it's just a natural continuation, then I would not capitalize it. So what makes us want to read on the rest of the script versus not? Well, currently, I'm sort of asking the wrong kinds of questions, which are stemming from confusion more than curiosity, as I said. But if some of those answers were given up top with a clearer frame and it leads to an actual mystery, then I think that would help a lot with the narrative momentum and the read. Yeah, I do think it's an interesting ending. But the fact that Damien is killed and even saying in the description, Damien's story is over, kind of leaves us without a thread into the pilot. Like, who are we following now? Is it Molly? Is it some entirely new character? So you've kind of done all of this work only to throw it all away because you straight up told us Damien is dead. And to your point, the fact that if you were to see something earlier on about how Molly's connected to Damien's death, you're going to be leaning in the first act of, oh, now I'm following maybe this other character that's connected to this death, kind of like the ring did, where it's different characters dying, but there's this through line of the way they die is set in such a specific way that that is the mystery and the suspense built in. All right, let's move on to our second teaser, which is called Jackie and Marilyn by Benjamin Morgan, which is a comedy. And in the teaser, an aging soap star called Marilyn Morgan is shown up 
by the new Charlotte Crystal Quartz, who is clearly the director's new favorite, and the two characters exchange harsh words about Marilyn's age and looks. Marilyn is then informed by a PA that her secret lover, Charles O'Connor, has died, and so she shows up to the funeral where she meets his wife, Jackie, and son, Cooper. They quickly realize Marilyn was Charles's mistress, and Jackie insults Marilyn, telling her son that she won the bet that her husband's lover was disfigured and grotesque. Nick, what did you think? Yeah, I thought that this is a, a kind of a fun setting in this like soap opera world, and it was a cool idea to contrast these two funeral scenes. The first one was filmed within a scene of the soap opera, and then we see a, a real one in real life. I think one of my biggest issues here is that I didn't get a sense of the uh, differences between each of the characters, particularly uh, Jackie and Marilyn, such that the humor in that way kind of feels less effective or just too general. I, I honestly think the best humor comes from character and the dynamics between them. So if everyone fits roughly the same mold, you're leaving these laughs on the table. A more stark difference or clash between Jackie and Marilyn especially would provide a lot more fodder for comedy for us. Yeah, and to that idea, I would also say that some of the character descriptions were a bit lacking. I would still like them to be described other than just their looks. I mean, I do understand the context and hyper-stylized world they're set in, but I feel like adding some character-based description would add a lot. But I do agree with, on the character level, that these jokes need to be warranted by who they are. But in my mind, the bigger risk here is that all these characters sound alike. And that's mm -hmm. a very dangerous territory to be in if you're not, you know, A.A. Ron Sorkin, for example. <laughs> right. And again, all of that goes back to having established the differences between them clearly earlier. To me, that first scene between Marilyn and Crystal was a little more effective because there was a clear difference between the two characters and their viewpoints on the world and their, their roles and that kind of thing. So given that this script is literally called Jackie and Marilyn, I think you want to do everything you can to set those two up as if not opposites, then at least uh, clear differences for the purposes of comedy. And what makes you want to read on versus not? To me, the ending itself could probably be a little bit of a tighter button. It's so important in comedy to end your scenes, especially your teasers and act breaks on basically the funniest joke in the entire script. You know, it needs to be building to that moment where everyone's going to be laughing out loud and also wanting to read on. So for me, I think that it could have been a stronger ending to this. And I think, again, that comes back to making the scene in itself mean something without those jokes. So what does Marilyn actually need or want here at the funeral? And how does she get it or not get it? I, that question to me wasn't really raised or answered in any way. She just showed up. And again, there were, there were jokes happening. I will echo the same sentiment in the sense of I do want more of that modern retelling of this Jackie-Marilyn rivalry. So if you milk that premise, if you go full on, okay, these are the black version versus the white version of these characters and how they contrast with one another, I think that's going to be a great way to tease us. Yeah, really sell us on the premise of, of what this is all about in the clearest way possible. And I think that will make people want to to read on and explore an entire half hour or season of this stuff. All right. And that's a wrap on this week's paper tease. If you would like to send in your own teasers, you can do that for free at paperteam.co slash teaser. And the June paper tease winners will be announced on our PT94 episode at the end of the month. So tune in for that. All right. On with the show. All right, so we're going to break these questions up into craft, business, and then some general kind of housekeeping type questions. So we're going to start off with craft. And the first one is from Sean. And Sean says, do you know if there's a benefit to writing beyond the pilot, like having a second episode or writing an outline for the first season? Are there any resources on your site regarding creating season outlines? 
Well, in terms of writing scripts on spec beyond that pilot episode, the answer is a definite no. Spec pilots are the only original TV episode commodity worth spending your time on. Anything beyond that, like a full script for episodes two, three, and so forth, is kind of a waste of your time since no one will be reading the scripts. Uh, of course, if you're being paid to write them, then that's a whole different story. Sure. I mean, outside of a specific development deal where a network is like, we like your pilot script and we're interested in putting it on our network network except we want to see three more episodes before we do here's the money to do it there's really no reason for you to be writing more than the pilot episode of anything especially because even if the best case scenario happens and someone wants to make your show they're going to have notes they're going to have thoughts it's going to change the pilot and that's going to change all the other episodes and there's going to be no point to having done all of that work for nothing exactly and to that point if the choice is between writing episode two of an existing pilot that you have and writing a new pilot 100% of the time that new spec script you should be spending your time on should be that pilot over episode two. But when it comes to the outline for a season and anything approaching a Bible for your show, well, yes, some of it can definitely be useful, especially when you are out pitching to production companies or networks. This is something that can be used as a launchpad potentially for your pilots. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a rough idea of where your season is heading and putting that down in some sort of document for that. I think that that's a much wiser use of your time than writing entirely new episodes. And most places now do want to know where you're headed in a general way. So knowing broad strokes of your character narrative arcs is probably worth writing about. And now we're moving to an industry where a lot of networks and production companies are buying series outright instead of going to pilot. So that's definitely a tool that's useful to your arsenal. Now, in terms of resources on the website, uh, I recommend the Pitch Talk One article that I wrote, which will be linked in the show notes. But in terms of paper team episodes, we talked about those issues in our PT13 episode, TV Pitching 101, and PT82 TV Pitch Document episode. So heavily recommend that. Yeah, check those out. And if you need to write a Bible or an outline or a one-pager or a two-pager for your series, then hopefully those resources will help. All right, let's move on to a tweet from at Jim underscore Hero, who tweeted, when dealing with spec pilots, uh, if you write a Rashomon-style pilot like Boomtown or an unreliable narrator pilot like Legion, is the implication that the rest of the series would follow suit? Yeah, so I replied to this tweet and basically said, yeah, definitely. I mean, the pilot is the template for the rest of your show. And the whole idea behind that is it should resemble a typical episode. Even if it's it's more of a premise pilot type thing, it should still look and feel like the kinds of episodes that are going to happen later in the season as well. You can't go from one entirely different structural device to another unless it's some incredibly bizarre out there series where that's the entire hook of it. But no, in, in, in short, yes, keep it consistent. No, I absolutely agree with that. And even if you look at sort of iconic weird pilots, like the classic example of that would be a Lost pilot. Lost is known for its centric episodes, centered on Jack, Okato, whoever, and they flashback to their lives pre-island. And you're going to tell me, wait, but in that two-hour pilot, they don't flashback at all. They spend their whole time on the island. And if you actually watch that pilot, you realize, hold on, no, there's actual flashbacks in that pilot. The flashbacks are on the plane to the island. And those are actual built-in flashbacks. So even in that pilot, which looks like a very atypical episode for the show, structurally, it is very similar to a run-of-the-mill Lost episode. Yeah, I think that's why it's so important that you include all of the elements that are going to be featured heavily in your series in that pilot, the kinds of characters you're going to be working with, the introducing the, the arcs you're starting off and the mysteries and the settings and every little piece like that that you can sprinkle into your pilot in a, an effective way to suggest that this is what we're going to be working with for the rest of the series, you should. This is the, the toy box that we're going to be playing with. 
rather than, say, coming out of nowhere in the second episode and introducing a whole new cast of characters and doing something different with that, that wouldn't really make any sense. And to that, there's a common saying that the second episode is kind of your second pilot. Just to reiterate that issue that the pilot should be, in that sense, the same kind of episode as episode two, three, and four, and so forth. Yeah, people sometimes call your pilot, they should say that in, in spirit, it should be in episode six or something where you can jump into the middle of a story and feel like you're already in the world without having to set everything up as opposed to a premise pilot is a common piece of wisdom. And the next question comes from Priya, and she says, comedy writers punch up scripts, but is there an equivalent area of expertise or process for drama writers? Well, as far as I know, there is no one-to-one drama equivalent besides also calling it punching up. Most comedies do it primarily for comedic reasons, traditionally for improving jokes. This often happens within the comedy writers' rooms. And a script is pulled up on screen and writers pitch out their better lines as the script goes on. That's traditionally how TV comedies do it. But in drama rooms, they do not work the same way at all. Once drafts happen, scripts get assigned, writers write, rewrites happen, and then those scripts are rewritten by the various EPs and higher levels as needed. There's rarely, if ever, a communal group rewriting stage of someone else's script to improve it. I do think that comedy is kind of a more of a team sport than drama in some ways. You, you see those shows like the Dick Wolf shows where they will literally have a writer pitch a premise They'll get approved, they'll go off the write it, they'll come back, and there is no interaction with any other writer than just them and the showrunner. I, I don't think comedy could ever really work in that way, necessarily. So uh, it is just such a thing to be riffing off of each other and telling jokes and trying to beat those jokes and going through it all as a room that it is almost a unique thing to comedy in that way. No, totally. And very few drama shows I know of do that Frankensteining or gangbanging, quote-unquote, of episodes. It does happen, but usually it's under production or a deadline stress. It's rarely out of the volition of the the showrunner or the production company that wants it that way. If a script has issues regarding low conflict or low stakes, that is actually a larger problem that is addressed way earlier on in the outlining or breaking stages of that episode. And if you're getting structural notes at the draft stage, then this often calls for essentially a page one rebreak of an episode. It's not really something you can easily punch up in a few lines of prose or dialogue. Yeah, I would say if something like this happened in drama, it might just be called a polish. And like Alex says, it's not going to be a whole team of writers doing it. It's probably just the showrunner putting her final tweaks on or something like that. We have another question from Tanika, I believe, I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. She says, hi there. Do you guys have any kind of document or skeleton of how an outline should look or where you should start when first writing an outline? I've been listening to the podcast episode about spec writing, but it would be great if I had something to look at and work off of. Yeah, so regarding what outlines look like, honestly, they look quite literally like any other script, except they're all made of prose without dialogue or production elements. And sometimes they may include some dialogue within the prose, but it is entirely dependent on the showrunner's preference. So really, this document exists to clarify and show to the production company or the network what an episode is going to be about without having to go to draft. Yeah, I think once you get to that full outline stage, it, it does look quite similar to a script, even insofar as having the scene headers of interior, location, time of day, and then just writing in, in bare basics prose what's going on here. Maybe even, yeah, some excerpts of dialogue and that kind of thing. It's not as rigorously structured as you might think. Just kind of put in what you need to know when you're going to go to write your scene. 
I'll disagree slightly in the sense of if you're working on a drama show, it follows suit of based on what the showrunner's preference is. I'm not familiar with comedy outlines, so I can't comment on that. But in terms of drama, there is a rigorous structure in the sense that you want to convey in the prose the emotion as well as the story. But again, some sure. outlines are more abstract than others. Yeah, no, I just meant for her purposes as writing a spec pilot or an original material of her own. Like, no one's going to be peering over her shoulder saying, you did the outline wrong, so your <laughs> script is going to be terrible. Except Absolutely us. on a Except show, us. follow the rules that they put down for you. But, you know, don't feel paralyzed by the need to have your outline perfect because no one's ever going to see your outline. It's just going to end up as a script. And since you were asking for some resources, I would recommend the Writers Guild Foundation. If you are in LA, the library has a lot of those uh, skeletons and outlines. But also, we ourselves discussed those topics in other Paper Team episodes, like the Bringing the TV Writers Room Process Home, that's PT6, as well as From Outline to First Draft and PT28. All right, let's move on to some more networking or TV business comments and questions. And the first one comes from Julian, who asks, I've just finished a comedy animated series concept. I have characters, plot, setting, etc. I just finished the pilot episode concept as well with exact lines incorporated, but not a full on script. I would love to sell my ideas, but do not know where to even get started. Well, I mean, that's the million dollar question. I think there are a few things to, to tackle about uh, Julian's question. The first is that right now it just exists as an idea. And you're talking about the concept of selling an idea, but not a full script. I think you're going to run into a few issues with that in that people generally only want to buy ideas from people who are established creators. If you have the clout to sell something on a pitch or an idea, then you've generally been working in the industry for a while. People know you, they trust you, then you can execute on it. So you can sell a whole show to a network as a pitch and rough idea if they know that you can deliver. If you are a new or unknown writer, you're probably going to have to have that script ready for people to look at and it's going to have to be great. Yeah. And one of the only ways I've heard newer, fresher writers uh, selling those projects at that level of a concept or a pitch is through attachments, whether it's a director or a known actor or a known creative to really bring the project home to someone. And I would say the other aspect of this question that's important to understand is that I do see a lot of, of younger writers and people thinking that they can sit down and come up with a concept, even a script, and then just walk out the door and be able to sell it and start their career as a creator. And I would say that happens very, very, very rarely. The most common way to get into the industry is to start working your way up in a writer's room and getting those credits and getting that experience and then being able to develop and, and do that kind of thing. I'd say, again, it's just really not feasible to kind of come out of nowhere with a, a pilot script and be a showrunner or a creator the next year. Sure, there are some crazy success stories, but I wouldn't pin all your hopes on that. I would be trying to find a, a more realistic way into the industry and then be looking to get your shows made. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of people believe that the way to break in is by selling those projects because there was a point, there was a time maybe several decades ago where that was the way it worked. You know, higher level APs or even mid-level writers could walk into a room and just pitch, okay, it's uh, this one cop who's actually secretly a spy for this other company and blah, blah, blah. And just this very basic pitch and they would sell it in the room. But the reality is 
that's not how things work now. And as we just mentioned earlier in this very episode, most production companies and networks now want a whole series arcs or something much more developed than a log line. Yeah, you have to think about what is valuable to these companies and what they're willing to pay money for. And usually that is some sort of experience and assurance and, and name and thing that's going to help them sell that on to other people and know that they're going to get their project delivered. I don't think that there's really a world anymore in which just ideas are worth money unless they're attached to something they can execute that or some sort of bankable IP. Or attachments with all the important people in the world, like Paper Team. Can you imagine the value of a script featuring Paper Team? Zero dollars. Don't say that. All right, our next question comes from Louisa, who writes, My big problem is possibly insurmountable. I am a mom of twin toddlers, so lots of networking is near impossible. I save all my free time to write. I don't really know how else to meet and mingle with people who could help me. For now, before my kids get up and once they go to bed, I write. While they're in school, I write. I feel like a networking Google Hangout or Zoom Hangout would be awesome. I'm grasping at straws here. <laughs> well, I, I don't think we can really empathize with being a mom of two toddlers unless you have uh, two toddlers, Nick, that I'm, I'm not, not aware of. Not that I know of. Uh, but I do commend you for actually stepping up and writing you know, in the morning or while they're at school. I think that in of itself is a great accomplishment. Now, in terms of the networking part of it, Unfortunately, a lot of it is in-person networking. Some of the online kind of networking we've covered in past episodes regarding Twitter and maybe limited cold queries, but overall, there's very few online resources for those communities. Yeah, it can be tricky. I mean, there are sort of like online pitch sessions where you can get face-to-face -face time with executives, and perhaps that's one way to do it. But in terms of networking, I think just in and of itself as a concept, networking is about getting face-to-face -face time with people and coming to get to know each other as human beings. And I understand that everyone's circumstances don't really allow for that quite as easily. So my recommendation would be perhaps wherever you live, looking for a writer's group or a, a meetup, you know, a weekly, monthly meetup, something like that, where you could perhaps schedule the time to have a babysitter look after the kids or a relative look after them and go out there and, and get a little time face to face rather than, you know, perhaps getting four or five coffees or drinks a night. That's pretty unreasonable. But if you can think far enough ahead in time, even maybe going to something like the Austin Film Festival for a weekend. And if you can schedule that ahead and make sure that you have that time free to yourself, then just carving out those spots in your life where you might be able to go and network and make the most of that writing you have been doing. Yeah. And going back to those online communities and peer reviews and getting that help with your script. There are Facebook groups or even subreddits or online communities that you can go to and exchange with people at your level or uh, higher levels. In fact, I've already teased about this earlier on, but I'm in the process of starting my own TV calling Facebook group, which will hopefully be open by the 10 year anniversary of the website. But in the meantime, there's other communities online for you to go to and meet people that way as well. Yeah, there's the Reddit screenwriting group, there's LA TV Writers Facebook group, there's various places where you can sort of get that interaction in the meantime until you can carve out enough time to meet folks face to face. It's all about those online connections. Am I right, Nick? Is that how we met? Kind of. Maybe. I think so. Oh, was it uh, OkCupid? Uh, Tinder, I think. Good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on to our uh, another tweet. Uh, this one from Alexander MJ Smith, who wrote, Hey, TV calling and I underscore MJ Watson. Uh, I discovered hashtag paper team while in Melbourne, spooky, and have since listened to at least one episode daily. It's incredible, well executed, and as a Brit, I love the outsider in LA insights. My debut half hour will owe much to your hard work 
Thank you. Yeah, and I did reply to Alex. We had a little back and forth and said, it's too many Alexes. <laughs> wow, too many <laughs> I'm Alexes. Sorry. As I have, I'm sitting across from an Alex, and later on, and Alex is going to edit this. But anyway, I said, awesome. Thanks, Alexander. Glad you're enjoying the podcast. Hope you liked Melbourne, too. And the reason why this is in the business category is because Alex then replied, loved it. I'm actually considering moving there for your, and it was through researching the Australian TV industry to work out whether there are opportunities there for new writers that I came across paper team. Well, I mean, that's great. I have spoken about this before in the podcast, but I do think that my opinion of the Australian industry is that it's quite difficult to break in as a newer writer. I have had so many coffees and drinks and lunches with other Australian writers who are over here in LA, whether they're visiting, whether they're living here, trying to do the same thing as I am now, whether they're even highly successful writers who are working on shows and that kind of thing now. And everyone seems to come to the same consensus that a lot of the Australian industry won't pay attention to you until you have success somewhere else. If you go to the US and you start working and then you come back, Suddenly people are willing to talk to you. But if you just come straight out of school in Melbourne or Sydney or something like that, it's going to be very hard for you to start getting work as a writer. And this is for a couple of reasons. The first is there's just not that much money in the Australian industry. So they're willing to take less risks on newer people. There are an established group of writers who get a certain amount of work each year, and they all tend to continue to get that work. And writers' room sizes are sometimes one to three people, and they all are going to share those episodes amongst themselves. And so there's just really not quite as much room for people to get in. There's not those writers' PA positions. There are perhaps note takers, and there are people who will come and sit in as like an internship to like to watch what happens. And I know people have done those note-taking jobs on three or four shows and still nothing has really come from it because it's really just hard to find that gap in. So, you know, I guess my advice to Alexander would be Australia is probably not the best place to come and try to break in. I think he said he's from the UK. So honestly, you've probably got a better shot there. I think the industry is a little bit bigger, even though it shares some similarities with Australia and relying on, on government funding. Yeah, it's funny. Before I moved to the States, I heavily considered the UK as my base of our operation because the UK is probably the second best industry in terms of television, I believe, in terms of the Western Hemisphere to break in, in specifically because there are more open avenues, open submission policies. In fact, it is embedded within either, I don't know, the British Constitution or some kind of governmental agency regulating the fact that they need to allow open submissions for original programming in the UK. So if you go, for example, on the BBC and all those different networks, they will open submissions and, and ask you to send material I don't know whether or not they're actually going to read that material, but at least there's the illusion, you know, illusion, Michael, that uh, <laughs> that uh, there is this openness to it. Right. And one of the things that folks like us from smaller entertainment industry companies often have going for us is things like tax credits. Like that's one of the things about the Australian industry is if you are an Australian writer or creative, the Australian government will have a way to fund certain projects because you are a part of it. I assume there's a similar thing perhaps with like France or the UK, but if you're coming from the UK to Australia and trying to work on Australian productions, if you're not actually an Australian, that's another barrier for you to be able to get involved in that because they might need to employ Australian writers specifically for that. Whatever is easiest for you to build up some kind of credit base, at least, and then you can go back to wherever you want to work and have that leverage of, hey, I'm a writer there, or I've been considered a producer in this other location, then there's more of a connection there than starting from the ground up in another foreign location you know nothing about. Absolutely. If you're going to make a giant move somewhere and just take a shot into the dark, then I'd probably make it LA because at least the, the opportunities exist here. 
This question is from Caleb, and he says, I've been writing for years. I was a nickel semifinalist, uh, did Second City and UCB Sketch, but I've never really found a way to get my scripts into the right hands. I live in LA, so I'm trying to get a job this season as a writer's assistant or PA or intern, whatever it takes. I'm trying to network more, but I don't really know where to start. Uh, Where do I go to find out about the networking events that TV writers actually go to? Well, I mean, the first part is definitely correct in the sense of getting a job somewhere is going to help you build those connections. When it comes to networking events for TV writers, I mean, most professional TV writers don't go out to networking events because they're professionally working. Uh, That said, up and coming writers go to essentially similar events as other feature writers go to. So for example, the Jen Crisanti Friday Night Drinks or the Blacklist events or even Nerdist Writers Panel, which I don't know if they're still doing it because Meltdown closed down. But either way, you have those avenues where you can meet like-minded people And going back to what we said earlier uh, regarding online communities, that's another avenue where you can meet people and and set up real life drinks. Yeah, I think that's the kind of trick to it is, like Alex said, working TV writers aren't going to that many networking events or the ones that they're going to, you're not invited to. They are, say, Emmys events or they are special screenings at Netflix or something like that. So they're not really open calls to everybody. So I think the goal should not be so much trying to network directly face-to-face with working TV writers who are 20 years ahead of you in the industry, but to be networking with people at your level or around about your level who are other writers, PAs, assistants, that kind of thing. And then just giving those relationships time to grow and develop and in a couple of years, they are going to be working writers and hopefully so are you. And I think that's the goal rather than walking up to a showrunner and hoping by chatting to them over a drink, you're going to end up with a job. Both the hardest thing to do and the easiest thing to do in this setting is to begin a conversation with someone else, right? Whether it's a higher level person or someone that's more on your level, starting that conversation can lead to anywhere. And I think that's something that people are afraid of sometimes. They don't want to hit up someone up because they're afraid of coming up this way or whatever it is. But as long as you start building that connection and relationship, then it's all the better for you. And if you want to learn more about the whole networking aspect of it all, our earlier episodes, How to Meet People in LA When You Don't Know Anyone, that's PT3, and Putting Yourself Out There, that's PT75, both tackle those issues. All right, let's do a little bit of uh, more housekeeping and meta type questions. And the first thing I did want to mention is that Paper Team is now available and connected through the Google Assistant. It's the 22nd century, pretty what, much. What is that? Is uh, that the thing that's taking everyone's jobs by making phone calls? Yes, we're all AI. Exactly. Google Assistant is that person or that AI doing that. But if you have a Google Home product or Android or iOS or Chromebook device that features Google Assistant, now you can listen and access Paper Team by asking the assistant. So for example, if you say, listen to Paper Team podcast or play the latest episode of Paper Team and you don't have a podcast app nearby, then it will still pull up either Paper Team podcast or the latest episode of Paper Team for your enjoyment. Oh, wow. Very fancy. Very nice. We have a new review on iTunes that we wanted to share with you guys, and it's titled Excellent Podcast, A Masterclass by Woo108. Woo indeed. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And they say, I've been a screenwriter for many years, but have recently been trying to move more into television, and this podcast has been invaluable. Alex and Nick have a wealth of information on the subject and share it in such an in-depth and organized manner, and they even bring some humor to it. It really is like a masterclass in writing with great tips about the industry. 
Thank you for pointing out that I have humor. <laughs> <laughs> do you think we can get Masterclass to do Alex and Nick teach TV writing? As long as we charge an enormous amount of money, Excellent. people will definitely pay for it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks very much. We always appreciate uh, hearing your reviews. All right. Thank you. And moving on to one of the emails we received about the podcast from Jimmy, who says, Hey guys, great podcast. Appreciate all the helpful tips and the way you're trying to really be a resource for other writers. But would it be possible to speak a tad slower? It feels like you're both trying to cram so much great information in such a short period of time, which very well may be true, but it is going by so fast and feels so rushed. I feel like I should be furiously scribbling notes during a college lectures versus a friendly, easy listen podcast that feels conversational and so forth. Screenwriting is such an anxiety riddle profession as it is, especially for those of us trying to break in. Just thought with what you're trying to do with a podcast, tweaking the audio style of it in a way could actually help the very aim of your show. That is to be an aid for us all. No harm, no foul. If this feedback isn't helpful, I'm a fast talker myself, so I get that it is tough sometimes and you don't even realize that you're doing it. Anyways, thank you again and carry on. Yeah, I think that's very helpful feedback and it is something that we've heard before from people. And I think it's perhaps just a function of either having an outline written down in front of us and going through these talking points and knowing exactly what we want to say or some mixture of being excited to share this information with you or, or wanting to cover everything. But we have definitely been trying to keep that in mind as we go through and speak just a, a little slower as we do it. Oh, definitely. I, I think especially in recent times, we've tried to make this concerted effort to speak slower. I know I speak really, really fast sometimes. So <laughs> uh, I try to articulate it and enunciate myself clearer. And I would say that was more of an issue in our earlier episodes, but we're slowly improving. Yeah, well, feedback uh, taken on board. Thanks very much. And we had a, a tweet a little while back from Jacob, aka Akamatsu Creative, on Twitter. And uh, he said, I really enjoy your useful and engaging podcast. A small editing point, although it's trendy to remove all the dead space in audio, the ums and pauses, etc., it's gone a bit too far here. Uh, let your human voices breathe and pause, and it would be even nicer to listen to. And I replied, thanks for the listenership and feedback. By the way, are you referring to our latest episode or our earlier first ones? And he said, cheers, Alex. I've listened to about seven or ten episodes so far, mostly from 2017, I think. I noticed it in every app I've listened to to the point of distraction. No offense. Love the content. Uh, has that editing technique been changed in more recent episodes? And so I replied there and just said, we've definitely gotten better at editing more naturally, thanks especially to our longtime editor, Alex Switzky. And it took a little bit of time to find our feet sound-wise. So we recommended checking out a later episode and letting us know what he thinks, but always happy to hear that kind of feedback. And then lastly, he said, all the best. Out of curiosity, do you use an automated system or are you doing it manually? Well, we are kind of doing both. The manual portion is mostly done from Alex Switzky's perspective. He edits everything we're saying, all our rambles, all our ums, and really without him, we would be two hours per episode of us rambling and saying nothing. Now, in terms of the automated portion, we do put some of the episodes under Ophonic, which is online software that levels everything up and removes some background noise. And Ophonic is what helps us sound amazing and deep. <laughs> think that if you go back and listen to our early episodes, especially those first ones, you'll definitely notice they sound quite different. But I do think we've come a long way in understanding those nuances of the editing and mixing. Once again, thanks to both uh, Alex Friedman's technical wizardry and uh, the help of our editors now, like Alex Switzky. And I feel that our apps sound a lot more natural now, although I do remember very early on, it sounded like we were like 
robots rushing through and had to like physically slow down the whole thing. So we will definitely try to keep both that and speaking slower in mind in future. All right. And the last question is about our paper tease competition. And the question comes from Emily Haggard, who asks, hey, TV Calling and NG Watson, is there a deadline for the paper team contest? And I think we answered this in the previous episode, but just to respond to this tweet, there is no deadline. It's a rolling submission with the monthly winners selected. So send it in whenever you feel ready, but the earlier you get it in, there's actually more chances to be selected because we do keep everything on file and we can always go back to those if we need more teasers. Absolutely. And let's wrap things up. Before we go, as mentioned, our PBT's competition is still open for submission. So if you have a TV pilot teaser of eight pages or less, any format, any genre, you can enter it for free at paperteam.co slash teaser to potentially get feedback on air and win prizes. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. So thanks so much for taking the time to tune in and listen. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 91. And if you want to leave us some reviews, like the ones we read out today, you can go to paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all of those reviews will help get more attention for the show and have more cool people like yourself tuning in. And this episode of Paper Team is brought to you by Roadmap Writers Jumpstart Writing Competition. The competition is open to both original TV pilots and feature scripts with a panel of 12 industry judges from top companies including Circle of Confusion, Echo Lake Entertainment, Verve, Mosaic, Bronze Studios, and more. To learn more and check out their incredible prize packages, visit RoadmapWriters.com and choose Jumpstart from the competitions tab. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, questions, so we can answer them on the podcast like this episode, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, we'll be talking about breaking into the TV industry at an older age with special guest Jay Holtham, who is a playwright and currently a staff writer on Marvel's Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. So if you are not a 20-something whippersnapper, or in fact, if you're just interested in genre writing, tune in next week for this episode. See you then.